This is The Guardian. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Science Weekly is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash scienceweekly today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash scienceweekly. This week, the UK's Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, is hosting the world's first global AI safety summit. Rishi Sunak will welcome senior politicians and technology executives to Bletchley Park near Milton Keynes. 27 governments will be represented, including China, as well as firms such as Google, Meta and Microsoft. There's a lot to discuss, from racial bias to disinformation in election campaigns. Get this wrong. And AI could make it easier to build chemical or biological weapons. Terrorist groups could use AI to spread fear and destruction on an even greater scale. All the way to existential threats to humanity. What's freaking people out is that the warning comes from the scientists, engineers and CEOs who are creating AI themselves. Their 22-word warning, devastatingly clear. Mitigating the risk of extinction from AI should be a global priority alongside other societal-scale risks, such as pandemics and nuclear war. But it's not all bad. AI could improve lots of aspects of society if we do it right. So today we're looking at two areas where it's already making waves. Good waves. Science and medicine. And we're asking how AI could actually help us to do them better. From The Guardian, I'm Madeleine Finlay, and this is Science Weekly. 
Ian Sample, science editor and my co-host, of course. Welcome. And as always, it's very nice to see you. You too, Maddie. And I'm excited to speak to you because you recently wrote a brilliant feature that I really encourage people to go and read about how we got to where we are with AI. But today we're going to chat about the present and the future and where AI could help us in science. So how widely is it being used already? It's there in everything. And if it's not there, it's coming. Physicists, computer scientists, obviously they've been on this for ages. If you think about CERN, the particle physics lab in Geneva, they've been using AI for an awfully long time and and that AI has been getting better and better to enable them to understand what's going on inside their massive detectors. Then if you look at biology, biology a good while ago really started getting good at computational biology, bringing in those scientists who had all the computer and the mathematical nows to apply that to biological systems. So biology now is really ripe for AI because it's also that perfect sort of quite messy science where you have a lot of data, but AI can be applied to it very well. And if you have a load of data and you can find patterns in it, you're essentially doing science. That's what science is, finding patterns. And so people have really seen the ability to take their data sets, another thing scientists are good at doing, bringing in data apply the AI to that, and then try and find new things from it. And that's, I think, the hugely exciting thing happening in science and medicine at the moment. Are there any areas that you find particularly exciting at the moment or ones that you think could be revolutionary in the future? I think there are lots. And I think it could be one of those areas where the one that really staggers us comes from left field. And I'll always love that when that happens in science. But one that I think we'd have to discuss is AI being used in fusion. If you want to do nuclear fusion, instead of the normal nuclear reactors we have, do fission, where you're splitting atoms apart. Fusion is what powers the sun. So if you can create a fusion reactor, then you will have just incredibly plentiful energy and that would be a profound energy revolution. There's no doubt about it. The problem is it's really hard to do. And one of the reasons it's really hard to do is you have to extract energy from an insanely hot plasma. And that plasma has to be contained. AI is being used to control the containment. And I think the question then becomes is how much faith do you have in that system? Because these systems, when they're up and running, will have to work perfectly But if they can solve that problem, that will be huge. There's no doubt about it. Solving nuclear fusion would be huge. But, you know, as the joke goes, it's always 10 years away. But there has already been one really big breakthrough from AI in science, and that's DeepMind's AlphaFold, which is able to predict the structures of almost every protein made by the human body. Tell me about that. AlphaFold came after these previous iterations of the Alpha AI. And, you know, we knew about it from AlphaGo beating Lee Sedol at this ancient Chinese board game. And we, we knew about the other things Alpha could do. AlphaFold was their attempt to, and, and a really successful attempt, to turn it towards a real problem in science. And protein folding was a brilliant problem to have a go at because what you had was Getting the structure of a protein is a nightmare. You basically have to sort of crystallize it and then chuck x-rays at it. And you have to physically work out the structure from x-ray crystallography, which is why so few had been done relatively to the number there are. 
What you can do, though, because a good bunch of these were done, you can train a system on that to say, okay, well, if a protein with these amino acids looks like this and a protein with these amino acids looks like this, what do all these other proteins look like when give them all the amino acid compositions, right? And it would then go through and predict the protein shapes, in some cases down to the atomic scale. Now, the really fundamental reason that this is important is that with proteins, shape or structure is pretty much the same thing as function. So if you want to know what a protein does in the body, what it does depends on the shape it takes. So if you know the shape of a protein, you, you can work out what it's going to latch onto into the body. And you can also work out, say, okay, we know this protein is on the coronavirus. What shape of antibody or what shape of drug do I need to hit that protein and take it out? So understanding the sort of the structure of a protein, it's fundamental to understanding how proteins work. And proteins are the, the building blocks of life. They, they run pretty much all of the biological processes in the body. It was this watershed moment where, as you say, we saw what machine learning could do for fundamental science. But I want to go back to that point of treatments because there's also this huge amount of excitement about what AlphaFold and other AI programs could do for drug discovery. Yeah, it's absolutely right. So if you're looking at a disease process in the body, whatever is going on, there's often a protein involved in the story at some point. If you can use AIs to sift through a whole load of known drugs or a whole load of proteins or molecules that you can turn into drugs and say, okay, which one of these from this entire library of, say, it'll be millions and millions of compounds, which one of these has the best chance of either knocking out that protein, but at the same time not messing anything else up, which is crucial, then you can do that super fast and you can churn out 200 candidates that you can then go through and look at and say, well, look, which of these are actual goers? Or you may think, look, this molecule will actually have to design it, we'll have to create it. So the way it will supercharge medicine, I think, is really interesting. A lot of attention is nowadays dedicated on how AI can discover new drugs. But the reality is that our clinical trials are broken. They are expensive. They are difficult to conduct. Many new drugs actually do not see the market because of this antiquated process. Hello, I'm Mihaela van der Schaar. And I'm a professor of artificial intelligence, machine learning, and medicine at the University of Cambridge. I'm also the director of the Cambridge Centre for AI in Medicine. Mihaela thinks AI can go far beyond drug discovery and into every part of medicine, from speeding up long and expensive clinical trials to personalising the whole pipeline of patient care. We have currently screening programs for a variety of diseases, for instance, cardiovascular disease or cancer. But we have a one-size-fits-all approach. And this is not very effective because patients may be screened too late and other patients may be screened and they actually do not need this screening because they are at very low risk. So what I can do is identify subpopulations which need to be screened earlier 
and potentially with different technologies, then early diagnosis. We know that if we can identify disease early, this is resulting in better outcomes for patients, but also requires lower cost for healthcare systems. And what AI can do is pick up early symptoms and signs and identify which patients are developing disease after diagnosis, if medication is necessary, identifying what treatment to give to what patient given potential side effects, risks, comorbidities. And as disease is progressing and is developing, identifying when the patient should come back. So what you can see here is that AI can play a supportive role to the clinician. And finally, maybe a little bit less about the science of medicine, but rather the plumbing of medicine. I think AI can help a lot on the operational side, forecast what resources, whether it's hospital beds, clinicians, needs to be available at what location and when, and for what classes of patients. Everything that you've described sounds great in principle, but I wonder how do we ensure that all these systems are actually working for clinicians and patients and not for the big tech companies that are so often building the AI? Actually, I'm personally very worried about this because we build more and more AI and we strive to develop general artificial intelligence. But what I think we should try to strive is something more humble and much more useful for not only clinicians and patients, but rather humanity in general. So what I think we need to do is to make sure that everything we develop is done in consultation with clinicians and patients, and we understand patient needs, clinician needs, and we build AI that matters, that is what I call reality-centric. What I see a lot in the AI community to which I appertain is a rush to build more and more AI. But much of this AI is not solving any important problem and pressing problem for humanity and building that type of AI in a safe way and in a way in which is empowering rather than marginalizing. I think this ties into concerns as well about ingraining biases that already exist in healthcare into these systems if we use them. And I think this is a real risk. How do you see that being mitigated? I'm so happy you asked this question because first, if this is in the data, machine learning can easily replicate such biases. And what we need to do is we need to create data sets that are fair, such that the machine learning and AI that's built is fair as well. A second thing is I'm really quite keen on a new branch of machine learning that I've started to develop, which tries to identify human biases in the data and unravel those and then discuss them with clinicians and healthcare systems. So identifying why, for instance, women are often diagnosed late for Alzheimer's. And we are building AI to use medical clinical data to unravel such biases, understand them, and hopefully fixing them. 
Ian, there are obviously so many possibilities for AI in science, but also risks and dangers. How do you see these two things being balanced? Because I don't know about you, but I am slightly worried that we could end up with an AI Madeline and Ian taking over the podcast. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that, that's a good question, actually, because with a lot of generative AI, we may not want an, a, another Madeline and Ian doing the <laughs> podcast. But I mean, if you did, there's certainly enough podcasts we've recorded that has our voices, our tones, and how we tend to speak, that you could totally train something on and produce a completely plausible audio version of, of Maddie. Although what you would say, you know, you could prompt you to say things, but if it's anything like chat GPT, you would be speaking in a very verbose way, I think. And that's almost one of the problems that you see through the history of technology is something doesn't have to always be better for it to be adopted. It can be almost as good, but fantastically cheaper, and it'll be adopted. How how worried should we be? I mean, I think it's such a tricky question. I mean, I, I think I'm personally more on the level of these existential risks are something that we need to have smart people thinking about and the serious players, which is often the big tech companies taking this seriously. I think that's the, probably the biggest problem because they are in a kind of existential race themselves. I don't think they are going to slow down or want to do anything that would hamper their progress or their profits. But I think it can be such a distraction to what's really going to be problematic with the AIs we've already got. Going back to the realm of science, to kind of end us on a, on a positive note, how do you see it playing out there? I mean, it feels like this is the tool of the future for science. Yeah, I think we're going to see, absolutely see, technology-driven scientific progress. People are pointing AIs at data sets to say, can you see any new laws of physics in this? And I think that's extraordinary. I mean, you know, at the moment, these systems have pulled out Newton's equation of gravity, which is really simple. But can you get to really complex, generalizable rules of, of, of nature that we don't know? One of the dullest things in the world, but one of the most important things in the world is kind of batteries and using AI to design new materials and new batteries and factor in all the sustainability and the manufacturing processes. You can get those to be part of the thinking. So I, th you know, I think in some areas it will be sort of incremental, but in other areas, I think where just the data is there and it's really good, clean data AI can use, I, I think we're going to see some great improvements in, I mean, largely medicine, but across the board in science. Well, I'm looking forward to it. And I, I know that they'll never be able to replace us and our magic, Ian. So. Our magic, our magic. I mean, the, the problem with the AI is that they'll be too good. And they'll be like, <laughs> Ian would never have done that without 15 takes. And Well, it's the takes that make, make it perfection, Ian. So um, thank you so much for coming on and chatting. Good to talk to you, Maddie. Thanks again to Ian and to Professor Mihaela van der Schaar. If you're curious to find out more about all the different ways artificial intelligence is impacting science and society today and in the future, head to theguardian.com. You can also hear more about this week's AI Summit on our sister podcast Today in Focus. Just search for Today in Focus wherever you're listening to this podcast. And that's it for today. The producer was me, Madeline Finlay. 
The sound design was by Tony Onachuku, and the executive producer was Ellie Bury. We'll be back on Tuesday. See you then. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.